This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Skull Splitter Dice. Go to SkullSplitterDice.com and use the coupon code TOMESHOW, all lowercase letters, for 15% off your first order. And by the listeners like you, thanks for using the Tomes, Amazon, and DMs Guild affiliate links, and for being patrons at Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and this episode, number 341, we're going to go shopping! Woohoo! <laughs> as we talk about the decisions we make as players to decide what to buy and what not to buy in hopes it helps you decide on your own gaming priorities. And joining us for this episode are two people who I suspect would tell us they fail to prioritize their gaming shopping more than they succeed it. Uh, but they have some hard-earned wisdom to share as a result. First up, Tome Show regular, our senior editor, producer, behind the DM screen co-host, and DM for D&D Brief, Sam Dillon. Welcome! Hello. Next up is a longtime friend of the show, but a new guest, Jared Rosher. He writes for Gnome Stew, a gaming site that's been around since the golden age, like us. And you can find his own website and blog at whatdoiknowjr.com. Welcome! Thank you. I'm really happy to be on the show for my first time here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on as well. We've been we've been <laughs> chatting back and forth, uh, and you've been interacting with the show uh, on Twitter and what oh. have you for a long time. So, oh yeah, I've I've been listening for oh uh, years. So <laughs> it's nice to be on here. No, Finally. We're, we're glad to have you. <laughs> Uh, I do want to remind folks uh, that if you want to see uh, the Tome Show recordings live and unedited, and um, as Fred <laughs> put it in the chat, the, see all the how the sausage gets made, and um, sometimes it's pretty, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's embarrassing, but here we are. Uh, we stream uh, a lot of our recordings at twitch.tv slash Tome Show, uh, and then a few weeks later, the video gets posted up on YouTube, so you can find it there, still completely unedited. Um, as well. So, uh, and I also want to mention that uh, we are sponsored right now by Skull Splitter Dice. You can use the coupon code Tome Show for fifteen percent off if you're a new customer. But more importantly, you can also just win a bunch of stuff for free uh, from Skull Splitter Dice by by this month. And this month is almost over. So if you're in the chat on the stream, this is really pertinent to you. Uh, you need to go over to Twitter and follow the Tome Show on Twitter. And there are instructions there that have been retweeted throughout the month, but were originally tweeted on the first of the month um, that give you instructions. A really simple, shouldn't take you more than, than two minutes uh, unless you really get into looking at fun dice on Skull Splitter's website. Uh, about how to enter and win just a load of stuff. If you're listening to the audio of this and don't have time to get to Twitter, because I suspect uh, that th this won't be edited and released until um, next month into July, um, you probably want to go over to our Facebook page for The Tome Show, and uh, that'll be relevant for you in July. And just in case you wanted to think ahead of time, uh, this will be going on a total of four times, uh, this contest. Each one I'm going to run a different sort of Tome Show 
place. Uh, so if you wanted to make sure to to be hanging out with us on Discord or following us on Twitch or any of those kinds of things, um, that would be a great way to keep up with what we're doing. And those might be places where you could uh, enter to win later on. I haven't quite decided those last two months worth of contest winners yet, but um, you know, get a preemptive uh, head start on those kinds of things and you'll be good to go. Awesome. So now onto the episode where we are figuring out how to decide what to buy, uh, which books we should pick up, which dice, which Kickstarters to back, how to pick something on DMs Guild, lots of places to spend money. And so let's figure out, see if we can find a good system to prioritize our shopping. So Jeff doesn't have to explain a certain credit card bill anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, this is, this is, um, this is a tricky topic, um, and I'm not entirely sure that there are universal truths to be had here, right? I think to a degree, everybody has to figure out their own priorities and set their own uh, budgets and what have you. Um, but here we are. We're going to talk through sort of our thinking on the subject, and hopefully that's helpful for other people to help contemplate and think about their own sort of priorities and their own budgeting. Um, so... I guess it's worth talking about, as an introduction here, what is everybody's sort of gaming shopping habits? Like, what are you buying a lot of? Where are you shopping a lot? Uh, you know, what, let's talk about that a little bit. Who wants to get us started? So Jeff Jeff asked this question. He said, "What? Do you, how do you decide what to buy or what something like that? A much better worded than me. But uh, I said, well, it has to be a great reference and have usable you know, content or something like that. Um, and he said, yeah, that's kind of what everybody's saying, but I don't, I think the disagreement would be about what makes it a great reference or what qualifies as a great reference and what's usable. So I do agree that maybe there's no universal, you know, you said there's kind of no universal. I think there actually is a universal, but the thing is that gaming, just like any hobby is very personal and, you know, different people have different desires and needs about, you know, about what you know what they think is important and so that's kind of what we're here to talk about right in terms of what 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 i buy where i buy it oh geez i mean <laughs> uh i know it doesn't look like it but i've actually slowed down my buying quite a bit um in the past in fact i was saying uh on the discord the other day that um you know fifth edition or maybe it was anyway it was a conversation somewhere fifth edition is is one of the only D editions that when i'm actively playing it most other D&D editions that I play and other games as well, if I play the game, I'm kind of a collector. I get as much stuff as I can. Um, and that's a little easier for me nowadays because I'm a little older. I have a stable job and I have a little bit of disposable income. It was harder when I was younger, but I still tried to do it. Um, but fifth edition, I don't even own all the books, hmm. which is kind of it kind of shows the shift in my thinking as I, I I'm kind of now over that phase where I have to have everything and I'm moving into a phase where I'm a little more discriminating so but where do I buy things uh, anywhere okay <laughs> anywhere so so I mean I, I don't I don't have a specific like oh I only buy things sure. you know in, from this one place so so you're not, it, and it's I for to a couple things I have, I have follow-ups because of course I do uh, <laughs> First of all, I find it ironic that 
fifth edition is the first edition where you're not buying everything because fifth edition is arguably the easiest edition for that to, to indulge in that collector side. Like the, 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 there's, it doesn't have yeah. nearly the collection of stuff to buy yeah. as uh, the previous right. editions. Uh, that's not a question. I guess it's a comment, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but then uh, outside of just the, like the official Watsy books, are you buying anything else? Are you still picking up miniatures or dice? Or are you backing, Kickstarters or other crowdfunded things or what you know third party stuff about about three four years ago maybe five years ago now I sold my entire minis collection it was a 1500 1600 miniatures and all of my dwarven forge and and all all of my three other three-dimensional terrain um and uh (laughs) and I I replaced it with just a few sets of like tokens you know, round tokens, not even like ones that stand up. Um, and I'm perfectly happy with that. I have paper maps now. I use uh, vinyl maps that I have from way back when. I have not bought more of those. I use a uh, Chessex mat that I can draw on using a wet erase marker. Um, and I do a lot of theater of the mind. And that's it. Um, so I, don't, I do not purchase minis at all. I salivate over the Dwarven Forge Kickstarters and the really great miniatures Kickstarters, but then I close it and I don't back them because I, when I made the decision to sell my collection, um, I said, I, I'm, I can only sell this if I'm never going to do this again. Because if I'm ever going to get back into minis again, I can't sell these because that would be really stupid. Because I didn't sell it because I needed the money. I sold it because I was making an intentional decision to not mess with miniature, to replace miniatures with, with cardboard tokens and not have the plastic and the needing the storage and having the 3d terrain and all that stuff. I made the conscious choice to get rid of it. So you, so you made a decision to, to, I made a decision, find different priorities about what you were going to have in your collection or not. That's right. That's right. So you've, you've gone from the collector mindset to the more discriminating sort of, Weigh, weigh your options. I started with a lot of stuff, and I I started by getting rid of the miniatures. Then I sold the Dwarven Forge and, and other terrain, and then I started selling other types of things. I sold a bunch of the dice that I had that I just wasn't using. I sold some other you know tchotchkes and different stuff. And um, when I back a Kickstarter, I back it. I don't back it for the swag. I back it for whatever the book product is. Because I'm not going to use the swag and I don't want it hanging around. And I have already made that decision to intentionally reduce the amount of stuff that I have. Of course, I mean, I still have bookcases full, right? I'm not saying I don't buy anything. I'm not trying to (laughs) pretend. But I buy books because I consume books. Whereas sometimes if I get something that has a miniature, well, that miniature might sit on my shelf and I never, ever touch it. Mm -hmm. And what's the point of that, right? So that's part of my decision also about buying books and backing Kickstarters now is – Am I going to use it? If I have a reasonable likelihood of using it, I'll back it. If I don't, no matter how awesome it looks, no matter how much I love the designer, no matter how great the art is, I just don't back it anymore. Okay. Uh, And I think we want to come back through and and dig into each of these uh, categories in more depth uh, as later on as we go through. But let's let's go through and and hear a little bit from Jared. What's your sort of buying habits as a a gamer? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, um, part of what I ended up doing now, since I'm doing the reviews on Gnome Stew and on my site, 
is I tend to prioritize things a little bit differently than I used to. So now the first thing that I look for is I look for things that haven't been done before, things that are not currently oversaturated in the industry. And for example, um, like one of the things that I backed on Kickstarter was Haunted West by Chris Fivey because it is a it is a Western setting, but it's done from the point of view of people of color. And I want to see what that looks like and I want to support that game. So I will support games like that. I will buy um, things that jump out at me like that. I just recently bought, uh, I forget the name of it, but it was a, a fate-based game that's about uh, EMTs. So I'm looking for these things that are not necessarily things that people always see so that I see a wider range of things. Because part of what I want to do, especially when I do the reviews on Gnome Stew, is to try and look for things that people may not realize are out there and say, this is really great. Look at this. This is something that, you know, this is a direction that gaming can go that maybe isn't something that you would necessarily think of, uh, especially if you have been playing traditional RPGs in this hobby for a long period of time. Then after that, I tend to look for um, people that I know that I want to uh, support, you know, you know, just people that I either really respect or people that I literally know. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I really wanted to back Seas of Vidari because I know Brandis um, and was not disappointed with that. Um, like Robert Schwald, I'll, I will back a lot of things that Robert is involved with um, just because I have been very happy with a lot of the design work that I've seen him do. And then after that is when I tend to prioritize things like, okay, now that I bought you know this thing to review that's kind of new and I've supported somebody else, then I fall into, well, have I picked up the latest D&D book yet? And I still reflexively kind of do that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's still a thing that I do, but my priorities, that kind of falls in last now, even though I've still managed to pick up just about everything that mm -hmm. has uh, been put out by 5th edition so far this time. And the funny thing is, like Sam, I also got rid of all of my miniatures and, like, my bazillion uh, uh, Paizo flip maps that I had with all the different terrain. And I literally just have a board that I, I write on, and I got these tactical tokens, which are dry erase uh, tokens. <laughs> so whenever I do something tactically, because I would obsess over having the right miniature. And I know it's not something you have to do. It's something... I could not force myself not to do. Mm -hmm. Like when I was running Paizo Adventure Pass, I would literally look up online and order exactly the right miniatures for different encounters sometimes. And it was ridiculous. <laughs> it's almost, it has an addiction aspect to it because mm -hmm. you're, if you've got, uh, you know, I had this huge undead army and I also had a huge like orc army. Um, and so I always had enough orcs and enough skeletons, enough zombies, but I never quite had enough knolls, right? Like I, I always, for some reason, was short of a knoll, or I never had enough, you know, beholders. I had one or something, right? So, <laughs> like, there's always, oh, I want to do this really cool encounter. Oh, now I got to go buy that miniature because I need to have, you know. Um, so yeah, there's there's a there's a completionist aspect to that that is almost impossible to meet because new adventures come out all the time that have a different setup and a different grouping of creatures yeah so. absolutely no and, and you're absolutely right and i think that's uh that is not an unfamiliar um compulsion within the industry mm -hmm. within within the community right i think there's a sure. lot of people who have that compulsion i i've been i've been um trying to 
I've been waiting for one of the, those companies that does the the flat plastic minis mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to start doing like the hey here's everything you need for this adventure right you know uh, right. here's yeah. here's here's our entire curse of strahd line you you know and you'll have every miniature you need for for curse of strahd and whatever so uh ark knight mm-hmm. who does the flat plastic miniatures mm-hmm. um they actually did that for lost minds of Fandelver. they did yes i saw yeah. that so i'm hoping that that does well and picks up so mm-hmm. yeah all right, Tracy. It's sort of that. It's the idea of adventure in a box, right? If you could, if you could put an adventure in a box and have it come with every miniature and every map that was needed, it sounds like a great idea that people will buy it. But unfortunately, it's almost cost prohibitive. So, oftentimes, it's a great idea that doesn't actually fare well in the marketplace. And that's that's what I'm hoping is that is that it does mm-hmm. do well in the marketplace because it's it's cheaper than what you were what the two of you were doing trying to get every single mini, you know. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, yep. Yep. yeah. So I'd be all yeah. about that. But uh, Tracy, let's talk about your shopping habits. <sighs> so, so like. <laughs> So like Sam, I have an issue, had an issue or still have an issue with storage uh, and have switched over as much as possible to not having physical things. Um, and then like Jared, I actually sp- spend most of my money uh, trying to find the interesting or different thing or uh, in particular supporting designers from marginalized groups. Uh uh, to help make sure, one, to get myself exposed to what they're producing, but also help make sure that they can keep producing it. And in particular with Kickstarters, I love it when they offer the uh, buy one and will provide one to someone else who maybe can't afford the, the the product themselves or they donate it to schools and stuff. So I often will do those things. Uh, and then a lot of times it's more like it. I rarely run any written adventure as is. Uh, so it's more, you know, inspiration or things that I can uh, pull out, uh, artwork, stuff like that, which is really funny because, uh, well, to me, because originally when I started playing, I was always like, the artwork is the least important part of the purchase. <laughs> and now I've, I've shifted more to where artwork is important, uh, in part because done well, it can help uh, combat, combat that uh, idea that the default is whatever is the status quo in our society um, and things like that. Absolutely. So I think that's, that's, that, that's probably most of it. I, I back a lot of Patreons too. Uh, I'll probably like, I'd love to do more just right now. Uh, we just have some stuff going on where I, I don't want to, I don't want to commit too much money and I, I don't want to have to pull it from a, from a creator. <laughs> right. And that's, and I think that's part of where, um, my inspiration for doing this episode came from was, you know, people are on ever increasing budgets in the midst of a pandemic, right? And and figuring out what they're going to buy and what they're not going to buy. And and there is a lot of people. Uh, I, I sometimes before we do these episodes, I fish a little bit on Twitter uh, and I start asking some pointed questions over the course of a week or two and and sort of see uh, you know take some temperature and also maybe see if anybody has particularly insightful responses and then I invite Jared to come on the episode uh, and so um, yeah I mean it was the the responses I got on Twitter were pretty 
split uh, between the completionist, I just buy everything, and the I don't buy hardly anything unless it seems particularly interesting and relevant to me. And nobody, not a, I don't think a single person really told me much about what seemed interesting or relevant to them. Um, but but that's sort of where where the community, at least from the incredibly not representative sample uh, of people that responded to a couple of Twitter questions, um, that's where a lot of people see, seem to be. Uh, and I, I, sus- I would guess that there's more people right now who have been completionists for a long time that maybe should rethink or are rethinking um, their decision to be completionist and, and being a little more discriminating about what they want to um, invest in and not invest in. Um, I well, can I yeah. can I actually can I can I because what I did was I, I actually wrote a list of the reasons why I would buy a book or other accessory. And we've said a lot of them, but let me just go down the list because I, I want to make a point at the end about it. And you're kind of getting there. But so here's what I said. I said, I could buy a book or people can buy a book for uh, because it might have adventure material to steal because they want to use it in their own game. They might buy it for inspiration as a reference to some time period or some some cultural reference. They might buy it to use directly at their table. In other words, run that adventure right then or use that source book right then. Uh, they might buy it to broaden their own knowledge about a particular aspect of gaming or like we were talking about Chris Spivey's work, you know, he's also the one that did Harlem Unbound, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you could might buy it for the art style, which Tracy mentioned. If, if it, it has a real inspirational effect on you, it might influence the way that you conceive of your own setting. If you run homebrew, um, you might buy it to complete a collection to review, which also Jared mentioned, um, it, you might just buy it because it looks fun and it just struck you at that moment as, you know, sort of what I would call an impulse buy. But obviously it had some aspect of it that you really it really spoke to you. Um, you you might buy it because you think your players will like it and you're not sure. And so you want to look more into it. You might buy it because, you know, the name of the designer also mentioned Um and you might buy it just because you love dice or you love minis or you don't already have enough to paint. Steal your mind mentioned in the uh, thing that he's got way too many to paint. Uh, you might buy a, a mapping tool because you want to start learning how to make your own maps. Or you want to start learning how to do something that you haven't previously done. So you want to learn new skill. Um, you might buy cards because you might hope that they'll be useful at the table or something. Right? So there's all these reasons why. But ultimately, it comes down to if you have the money to buy it. Right. And some people can get into real trouble because all of those things that I just mentioned, those are all rationalizations or reasons to buy something. Right. Everything I said is a reason. Yes, you should purchase that because. So one of the things that I did to sort of flip that script is instead of when I look at a Kickstarter, instead of uh, trying to talk myself into, oh, yeah, I could use this because I could do this with it. I could do this with it. It's going to be a great reference. And I love that designer. And it's all the all these reasons why I should. Instead, I approach it as let me talk myself out of buying this. Right. And if I can't talk myself out of buying it, then I can consider that maybe it belong it belongs on my shelf or belongs in in my office. But if I usually, if I'm really honest with myself, I can easily talk myself out of buying it. And a lot of times, it's because of the combination of money and how useful is it really going to be. No, and and so I think those two things are the two that it comes down to ultimately. Absolutely, I, th- I think, and I think you're 
you're completely correct. Uh, I haven't talked about my shopping habits, I guess, uh, yet. But oh yeah, Sorry. Um, I totally stole your thing. That's fine. We don't we don't care about you, Jeff. We and 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 I care very little about me as well. That's why yeah. I have a lot of you on here. Right. Uh, because I, I care, Jeff. Somebody I care. somebody needs to be an expert. That's why I bring on the guests, right? Um, <laughs> No, but but uh, I am in the fortunate position at this point that I don't I don't buy any Watsy books because I get review copies all, of all of them. <laughs> that said, um, I spent a decade before Watsy started sending me review copies of things. Uh, I I probably spent a a decade um, buying every single thing that came out through through third edition where they were publishing two hardcovers a month. Um, and plus other things, uh, and and I had third party products as well. Fourth edition, and then um, I started getting the the review copies. So if I, if I'm being honest, if if I wasn't getting the review copies, I would still be buying everything. Now, if I wasn't getting the review copies and I wasn't doing this podcast, I would not be buying everything. That's one of the things that's a little different. I, 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 there are some things I buy to be a completionist because I want to be able to speak intelligently in case it comes up uh, as we're, we're having these conversations and what have you, right? I honestly don't know that I would have bought um, you know, Ravnica or Theros. That, uh, the magic settings just aren't really my thing, and I don't know that I will get a lot of use of them, out of them. Um, but... Given that I'm doing the show, I, I I would have bought them just to make sure I'm cognizant of them and aware of them. So in terms of Watsy books, uh, as long as I'm doing the podcast, I'll end up with all of them. If I wasn't doing the podcast, there's actually several I probably probably would have left on the shelf. I, I'd probably pick up the main the big adventure. Eh, I'd, I'd probably pick up most of the big adventures. Um, uh, maybe not all of them. But most of them, and I would definitely pick up uh, all of everything else. You know, the Xanathars and the the Mordenkainens and, and Sword Coast Adventures Guide and all of that. Um, in terms of other things, I kickstart or crowdfund, I should say, because several of the things that I used to kickstart have now switched over to, uh, was it Game On Tabletop? Um, I've had two of the things that used to come out on Kickstarter, companies that used to kickstart, yeah. uh, move to that recently. Uh, and some of that is a little completionist of me. Um, you know, I continued to kickstart or back every Torg Eternity product, um, even though I don't play nearly as much Torg Eternity as I want to, or or as I do D and D, right? But but someday, you know, I'm, I want to be able to dive back into it, and, and or or occasionally I'll get the kids to play with me or whatever. Uh, but there's also a degree to which, uh, and I think Sam kind of alluded to this earlier. I really like reading the books. I really like reading the adventures. I enjoy the setting. There's a lot of lore and history that I get into. Um, so so that's one thing right I mean, to, to some degree i'm buying those as a completionist and to some degree i'm in, i'm buying them because i just enjoy reading what's going on in that setting and in that game um and then there's other things that i will back and it tends to it tends to fall either fall into the category of this looks really cool and backing it on a crowdfunding thing seems like a cost-effective way of getting the most for for my you know, most bang for my buck, right? Um, I'll do that. Like I did that with um, Green Ronin right now has a crowdfunding uh, uh, campaign going on for a, a fifth edition update to the Book of Fiends that's being headed by Rob Schwab. 
Um, I really liked the third edition Book of Fiends. This is a, a cost-effective way for me to get the new one and make sure that it happens by backing it. And this that has the added benefit of designers and publishers that I trust, right? It has Rob Schwab and it has Green Ronin. These are people that, that I know uh, that, I, that will generally produce good product. Uh, and that's one of the things as well. Like I will back, I'm wearing my Cobalt Press t-shirt tonight. Um, I will back a lot of Cobalt Press stuff, whether or not I have intentions of ever getting to it or using it. But I know Cobalt Press produces, generally speaking, high quality material right um and so i know there'll be things i can pull from like i i have not run a campaign in midgard but i've used the heck out of the spells and the the player options from the hero's handbook uh you know and there's ideas in the the world book that i that i'm excited about uh and so so i'll I'll generally back a lot of their things as well um I continue to buy dice every now and then, and I don't know that I need to, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, but that's that's not unusual, I think, for people. I, I think what what, it, what it's been is uh, we had a dice sponsor a few years ago, and I'm like, well, I, they, they really want to be pushing the metal dice. I'll buy a set of their metal dice with the sponsorship money they sent me, uh, and, and that'll be my first set of metal dice. And then I got an, we had another dice sponsor, and I'm like, well, I could always use another set of metal dice. And now it's like, well, I've got three or four sets of metal dice now. I want to like have that be my main set. I need to get all metal dice for my main set, right? And I need one or two more sets of metal dice to make that happen. Um, and so, and so that keeps that keeps happening, right? Uh, but but it's that you know once a year or so I'll pick up another set of, of expensive dice. But but otherwise I don't I don't jump into a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, I already have way more dice than I need, so. Um, Minis, I'll buy usually when there's a new set of minis, I'll buy like one or two boxes just to pick up a few extra things here and there and to continue to sort of supplement my collection. I inherited most of my mini collection from uh, a player who quit playing, uh, and so I've got a big bin of those. Um, and so that um, hasn't been, and I have started getting a little bit into painting minis, but I've just been pulling out the old adventure system games like the Wrath of a Shardalon and that kind of stuff, and just pulling out those minis and, and painting those. Uh, so I haven't spent, I've spent very little money money on minis to paint um, outside of I wanted to make sure I had a nice Strahd mini for my Curse of Strahd game, so I did buy um, some vampires. Um, but that's, I think that's more or less where I'm at, right? That's my shopping habits. So, so what I'm hearing from part of this is that we should do a follow-up episode on storage of all of our gaming equipment. <laughs> so I, I, I actually have some things to say about that. Don't store, get rid of. That's my thing. But the thing <laughs> is, you, when I say get rid of, I don't mean throw it out or even necessarily go through the hassle of selling it. Find somebody who wants it. There are, are lots of people who can't afford things. Like I, I don't, I don't own all of the fifth edition uh adventures but i've read every single one of them except i haven't finished reading avernus yet but i've read every single one of them and 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 i take what i want from it and then i sell it and it's almost in perfect condition and i and i either sell it or i give it to somebody what i I, at first i was selling them but i've started giving them to people because a lot of people want to play these games they just don't have the money or they want to get into D D, but they don't they've done the starter box but they don't know what to do and it's like well here i'll give this to you like i'm i'm totally okay with donating that to somebody or like there was a person on twitter a couple of years ago who um 
some really bad stuff had happened to her and she just she basically couldn't buy anything for her kids for Christmas and they had really wanted to play D&D and so she was going to like get them all kinds so I bought a bunch of D&D stuff off of Amazon and had it shipped to her so she could wrap it and give it to her family because look if somebody wants to get their kids into D&D like that's a great way to if I had lived closer to her I would have gone to and met her at a at a location and just handed them to her or left them so that she could come pick them up. So she's not worried about, you know, me being some kind of creeper or something. Right. Like, but so I ordered them again, but I give my stuff away all the time. Um, there's a website called RPG geek that has what's called a chain of generosity where you can list up some stuff to give away. And basically people enter it and you do a random drawing and then you ship it to them. And then they're, they, they then have to list something that they have. That's why it's a chain. Right. And so like, there's all sorts of ways to sort of get your collection down to a manageable place rather than having to store everything. He says, as there's three bookcases. (laughs) Yes. I am looking at walls of books around you, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think that's that that's totally fair too. But I just even mean like, what is a good way to store dice? Not saying that you keep all the dice. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I like a lot of dice. Well, and 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 Sam has been on this talking point for several years now um, because we did a, a a couple a year or two ago we did a sort of streaming cutting down your your simplifying your gaming life and and when you had first gone through this and and. Uh, we talked about this uh, at some length at that point. So uh, I'm yep. not there. I, I have not simplified my gaming life, and I don't know that I intend to. It still brings me joy. So there, take that, yeah. Marie Kondo. I was going to say, look, I was going to bring no, up you, Con Mari. Yeah, you you can you can uh, talk about Marie Kondo all you want. Like I I love her, right? But I think that it's a personal. You know, like I said, gaming is personal, right? And like. You know, the thing is, you look at this, but this is like 40 years almost worth of collecting, right? This is 35 years worth of collecting. And this is with a lot of cold things already out and given away or sold or gotten rid of in some respect, giving to friend or whatever. And so that's, you know, that's also where my perspective comes in, too. I've been I've been gathering stuff for a really long time. And at some point, I just kind of looked around and said, you know, I just don't need all of this stuff. And, but if, at first it was just to get, sort of cleanse. Right. But now I even apply that to buying new stuff. Right. Like, do I really need it? And if I do, then fine. I don't like, I don't like, I'm not guilt tripping somebody. Right. And I love dice too. And I, I buy a new set of dice probably every quarter. Right. Um, and so like, that's, that's awesome. I, I love that. Right. I love, I love gaming stuff, but I, I I've ca- I've gotten to the point where I have to I've I've made it so I have to talk myself into it instead of talking myself out of it and that's actually been a big shift for me. Okay, so so let's go through the sort of the categories that I that I've brainstormed uh, for this this discussion, right? Um, so I want to talk about how we make decisions specifically about buying Watsi books, uh, how we think about buying third party products, uh, how, what we think, how, how we think about when we buy accessories, minis, dice, whatever, uh, and then uh, how we decide what crowdfunded stuff to, to back or not back, right? Uh, so let's start with Watsi Books. So, so Watsi has, um, it used to be, what, a couple books a year, and now we're up to 
half a dozen books a year, more if you count other products, uh, like the, the, the dice sets and all that, um, which I've surrounded myself with, uh, all of these other little things. I've got, I've got my Taroka deck over here. I've got my, I've got my Infernal War Machine, you know, so... Um, so let's talk about the Watsy stuff, right? How do we decide what to get and what not to get? Uh, you know, I mentioned that I that I brought up this conversation a bit on Twitter, and a lot of people were very uh, – some people were completionists. I'll get it all. Um, I don't have advice for them. If they're going to keep buying it all, that's that's their choice, right? And, and more power to them <laughs> if they can afford it. Um, but for those people who are like, well, I, I get the things that are of interest to me. I get the things that seem relevant to the interests of me or my players, right? I'm, or there are a lot of, like, I'm really interested in mechanical bits that I can steal, like Xanathar's Guide stuff or, um, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, right? Um, there, were, there, there was a good amount of people who were like, I have no interest in adventure modules. And a good amount of people who are like, I have no interest in anything Forgotten Realms. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting because... That's a lot of what they publish, right? So how do you how do you decide um, what Watsy books to, to take a pass on? Uh, to take it to Sam's direction, go the other way. Not what should you buy, but what should you just pass on and, and not bother? Uh, and I'd love to hear from Jared because uh, he's been too quiet so far. Because I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the unfortunate thing is that I do have all of them. But I have also had thoughts on what wouldn't I get if I wasn't getting all of them. There is part of me that is still, still kind of driven to get everything because I don't want to be you know, locked out of a conversation or knowing what something is going on. So I still end up you know, getting more things than I probably would normally. Like you said before, um, Ravnica really was not something I was particularly that interested in i got it in part because my daughter is very into D now and she's also very into magic so i ended up picking up ravnica even though that really wasn't on my radar um on the other hand theros i probably would have gotten because of the um greek mythology theme um i think part of this also and as being a longtime Forgotten Realms fan, as much as um, most of my 5th edition DMing has actually been Midgard, um, I tend to want to get all the adventures because they've done a very specific marketing thing. The Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide is its very sparse. It describes how the setting exists and does not provide any momentum for it. I, and I don't mean that to be, you know to sound bad, but there really isn't a lot of momentum in that book telling you this group is attempting to do this. This, this, this war is boiling over. It's just, here's the geography of the place. See, this stuff all exists now, now that the, uh, now that the, uh, sundering is over. And if you really want to see something that is talking about what an area looks like currently, you have to get the adventure that has to do with that region. Um, you know, you, there are so many things dealing with Baldur's Gate. You would have no idea from reading the sword coast adventurers guide. Um, if you, if you wanted to know that there were, uh, you know, Bane, Ball, and Merkel for some reason didn't get reinstated to full godhood, you wouldn't know that until about four years into fifth edition, because that was oddly enough, not an important thing to mention in the, uh, Sword Coast Adventures guide. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing per se, but it is definitely part of their marketing stream that you're not going to get a specific, um, uh, source book in the Forgotten Realms, you're going to get an adventure in an area that will detail that section. So that makes 
that makes me prioritize that a little bit more as a Forgotten Realms fan. It's just, you know, that's, that is a thing that happens. Um, I personally, um, I got Ghosts of Saltmarsh, but I was more likely to get Ghosts of Saltmarsh because of the seafaring rules than I was for the Adventure Anthology. Um, so when it comes to prioritization, I would say um, it is going to be a little bit different for every person, but I, I would say if you are a Realms fan, you probably will keep getting adventures if you really want to know what the setting looks like. Um, if you are somebody that just mechanically wants to play D and D, I would basically just suggest getting the core books, the monster books and the, um, the player expansions, things like Xanathar's and skipping the rest, unless you really want to, like, if you really want to play, um, like in Eberron or in a uh, wild mount, just get that book. And then, you know, the, the core, the core mechanical supplements. But, um, I mean, unless you are trying to follow the setting, I don't, I don't, I don't know. There, there are people I know that have managed to play through every hardcover, but it is difficult to keep up with, you know, these things and actually be playing through them as fast as they are coming out. Absolutely. And, and it's become more difficult as they've started doing things like Wild Mount or doing things like Theros and Ravnica because they're not counting that as their normal like two adventures <laughs> uh, a year sort of thing. Um, and so they're, they're, the stream is moving faster than I can, than I can swim. <laughs> so um, that's part of why I keep mashing up adventures just so I can be like, yeah, I kind of <laughs> did this, right? But, but like you, like I, I don't know, now that you mentioned I didn't even think about Ghosts of Saltmarsh, I don't know that I would have bought Ghosts of Saltmarsh if I wasn't doing the podcast uh, or uh, being a completionist, right? Now, I used it, but that's mm -hmm. part of that is me saying, hey, there's some pretty good stuff in these other things, even if I wouldn't have normally bought it. Let me see if I can find some way to make use of it, right? And so I tend to do that. Like, I don't know that I will ever run Tomb of Annihilation, but I think the dungeon at the end of it might play in prominently at the, the end of my current campaign, you know? Um, I'm thinking of ways of stealing that whole dungeon and... and using it there um so so yeah there's a lot uh I'm, I'm similar in a lot of ways i don't know that i would even even be buying all the forgotten realms adventures just to keep up with the setting especially since there's no novels and what have you like my compulsion to feel caught up with the setting has increased dramatically um <laughs> uh because they're not really covering the setting anyway they're just covering the sword coast any, uh, regardless um and so i think i would be the type of person who if I wasn't getting review copies of everything, who would who would kind of just not buy the adventures at all until it came time for me to run something. And I'd be like, okay, well, I'm looking to run something. I'm kind of interested in this. Uh, here are some options I'll, I'll give to my players. They pick which one, and then I'll go buy that, right? Or, you know, I'll go read some reviews or, or listen to the Tome Show and hear what they think about things, right? Uh, and get a sense <laughs> of what's in these books. Uh, and then I'll go figure out which ones I want to buy. I just don't know if that's other people's shopping habits, but I, I think that's where I'm at, um, were I not getting them. So, You know, the other thing that they do as a, as a good marketing strategy, there's, there's two other things that along with having the um, – the idea of each adventure has a sort of chunk of the Sword Coast that's really much more explained. You know, the the the, the Sword Coast Adventures Guide was an atlas. It was a static picture of here's this area of the world. And the adventures contain 
many of them contain, here's the specifics of it, like as Jared was saying. But the other thing that the adventures, a lot of them contain are rules for other things. Like you mentioned the, um, the salt marsh book has like the underwater and the seafaring rules. Uh, Avernus has the contracts with demons and devils, right? Um, Out of the abyss, even way back then, it was, it had the demon lords in it. And Morden Canaan's wasn't out yet, so you didn't have access to the Demon Lords at that point unless you got out of the Abyss. And it also has a great map of, you know, the Underdark and whatnot and that kind of stuff. So well, uh, even, um, even going back to Princes of, of the Apocalypse, at that point we didn't have all this extra player options and they threw a couple right. of new player races at they us and people were super excited right. about that, you know? right. So, so that's kind of that's the other side of that is even because I don't play in the Forgotten Realms, I never ever have played in the Forgotten Realms, maybe a couple of sessions in first edition way back in 1987 when the first gray box set came out. But I've never really been a huge Realms fan. I don't dislike it per se. It's just not where I've ever played. So I don't have that sort of connection to it where I want to know what has been updated, what's going on, what's happening. Um, but each of the books has some kind of rule in it some kind of little set of information that can be helpful right and also often they contain like a gazetteer of a town or of something that's happening so that you could actually steal a lot of that if you wanted to for your own homebrew world or for your other setting and so um the reason those hardbound books are are so enticing even if you're not an fr fan or an fr player is that stuff so there's even some element of part of the reason I get those books and I read them is because I want to see what the thing is that they added to it, right? And then if I decide I'm not going to run that thing, I just get rid of it. Um, but I still have this compulsion to buy it to see what the, what they're doing with it, right? Because there's also, in terms of Wizards of the Coast, there's also this element of, well, this is the official rules, right? This is the official book that talks about how demons and devils associate with mortals. And this is the official book that talks about seafaring stuff. Like, of course, I've got other supplements. I could make my own rules about <laughs> and i did because i started my seafaring game before that book even came out right and so you know th- but there's that there's that element so there's a lot of reasons to buy those things even if you're not a forgotten realms player so let's not hear- as many compelling reasons but there's still a sure. lot of them let's hear from tracy uh podcast aside uh when you're making a decision about <laughs> buying a buying a watsy book uh what what thought process goes through your head about making those decisions Right. And, and I do, I want to be honest, just like you were, that I get a lot of review copies, um, both digital and uh, through you, uh, physical. Um, so it's hard to know what I would actually do if I wasn't in that situation. Um, but uh, one of the things, and I do this, I have provided some of these videos, but there are a lot of people on YouTube who will do at least partial flip throughs or stuff like that. So it's a great way of seeing what, what it's actually going to look like if you can't get to a store uh, or, or something like that, particularly uh, nowadays. Um, and that helps a lot. Uh, I like listening to what people say about the book. Um, but a lot of them I probably just wouldn't buy because there hasn't been enough innovation in the physical products. Uh, now, there are good reasons to buy it in terms of they do, do a lot of playtesting. They obviously have multiple stages of editing and stuff like that that you can't get in a lot of the other things. Not that, but a lot, of, but some of the, the 
more established companies will do. Um, so if, if you're looking for, and balance is such a hard word because what we really care about is a story. But if you think about, if you care about having had a, a, enough other eyes looking at it, then that's a good reason to buy the Watsi products. Uh, they have a great art budget, obviously. So if that's something that would be something I, you know, uh, people might want to look at. Uh, but yeah, a lot of it's still very similar to to what D and D has been, which is awesome and fine for some folks, uh, but may probably isn't where I'm looking to spend most of my money. Okay. Yeah, no, and I think there's a lot of similarity in some elements of the Watsi books. And I think there's some area, like, honestly, if you go, if I go through each of the hardcover books, I can see where they continue to evolve and experiment with design uh, and, and some of those kinds of things. Uh, and I always find, I find that interesting. I don't know that I would be that person if I hadn't been doing the podcast for so long, right? Where I've gotten used to doing right. a little bit of analysis. Um but I am, and, and that's of interest to me as well, to see how did they do Storm King's Thunder and how is that different than, you know, Tyranny of Dragons or, or Tomb of Annihilation? Like, uh, you know, I'm not particularly interested in running some of those adventures, but I really like picking apart the experiments they're doing with design uh, and seeing how they do that Great. as well. Yeah, and, and I, I think we've brought up the completionist things a few times. And I remember back in fourth edition one of the things that was um sometimes like a difficult conversation to have with folks because there's a lot of people who are completionists and it's totally um you know I, i'm not trying to dismiss it or anything like that but one of the things is, is that that style of buying sometimes like they were there were some people who are completionists who would start arguing about like how certain products shouldn't exist because they have no interest in buying it and it just it's it <laughs> and and I think that kind of holds it back a little bit too. If so, if you want to look at the stuff where story is really starting to look differently, you're going to see that a lot more. I think in like the Adventures League stuff or um, Return to the Glory that they just recently released, where they're trying to play on how orcs are presented uh, even more than I think that they did in a lot of the published adventures. And then I found the best innovations like my personal totally subjective opinion uh innovations and stories a lot of times with the ones that they have been working on in collaboration with outside groups so uh some of the stuff from the penny arcade folks and and things like that and i think and i think you also can see some of that kind of uh experimentation and innovation and story when you get outside of watsi and move into third-party products so i think that's a good transition into that so tracy you were just talking about that uh, how do you and i happen to know that you have supported a good number of third-party products and i and you're oftentimes pointing me towards uh interesting and fun little things that i otherwise may not have noticed so uh tell me about your your experience finding interesting third-party products, uh, some of which you crowd, you've crowd crowdfunded as well, I believe. But, but tell me about your yeah. approach to that. So like Witch Plus Craft, I think that's how they call it. Uh, um, that's the title of it. It's like Witch Plus the Plus Sign Craft. Uh, that was a crowdfunded one. And, and one of the things that's been really useful for me is uh, expanding who I follow on Twitter to 
to be from a bunch of different groups and backgrounds. Uh, and so I often will see uh, people will be talking about different types of products that I wouldn't necessarily find um, through a lot of the other sources that I have uh, for finding products. So, and that book came out wonderfully. Uh, I really liked Harlem Unbound, uh, which I know is probably a more, I'm trying to remember, Darker Hue, was it, but was it Evil Hat that helped them? No, the second Not edition. Originally. Yeah. yeah, originally, uh, Chris uh, self-published the first edition, and the second edition came out through Chaosium. Chaosium, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I was just trying to remember. Uh, that one is also very beautifully done. I found a lot of uh, cool um, art styles and stuff through those types of books. Uh, and then I do like going through DMs Guild and just seeing... Uh, and this is going to potentially sound weird, but I, I look at who the authors are. If I, I find um, an interesting uh, designer from Twitter or someone else, I'll look and see the different things that they worked on. And then the anthologies are really great because uh, it, they list a bunch of people and then I can keep spiraling outwards and finding good products. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's, that tends to be key for me, especially when it comes to both crowdfunded and third-party um, decisions, is is who's doing it, right? Is it a publisher that I know and trust? Is it specific designers that I know and trust? Uh, I have backed a lot of crowdfunded projects that I, will pro I, I probably wouldn't have gotten uh, and some that I will probably never use, but... Um, I know those people or I'm friends with those people and I want to support them, right? Uh, I don't know that on my own, I don't know that I would have bought any of Mike Shea's stuff, but I bought all of them and I've used them and I've loved them and they're fantastic, but I bought them because I'm friends with Mike, not because they sp particularly sing to me, right? And I want to support him and he continues to deliver good things that I that I continue to go back to and I continue to use. So I don't regret any of those, um, but sometimes like I'm friends with somebody and I, or they're somebody I trust, um, you know, and then sometimes going taking the Sam approach of, okay, but what's my excuse not to buy this, um, I will oftentimes look at some, a company who's, who's crowdfunding something and be like, yeah, but they still haven't delivered the last crowdfunded project, right? I don't know that I'm interested in backing this one if they haven't delivered the last one yet. How consistent can they be on that? Now, if it's Cobalt Press, okay, they're going to deliver. So I'm not super worried about them. Uh, I recently backed something that... Um, that they currently have, I think, two, th maybe three or four outstanding crowdfunded projects. And that made me really nervous. But it had a designer on it that I know from the show and I know from Twitter and I, and, and I know him pretty well. And I'm like, ah, but he does good stuff. I, he's working on this one. I'm going to give it a shot. Maybe I'll regret it. Maybe I won't. Then a pandemic hit and everything went, all the work went, <laughs> went on, on pause. And, and I've been burned a few times uh, crowdfunding things. Uh, so I try to be discriminating. But most things have delivered. Uh, sometimes later than I would have liked, but most things deliver. So um, I, I tend to, you know, do I trust them? Uh, otherwise... Maybe I, I, I let it go, right? Um, if, if it's successful and it does well, I can always, well, usually I can buy the product later. So uh, what about uh, Jared and Sam? What, what do you, what decision process do you go through when it comes to third-party products or crowdfunded product, products? Well, um, I'll, 
I wanted to jump on uh, crowdfunding first because I actually took notes on this because I did. I do have a thing that I kind of work through in my head when I uh, look to crowdfund things. And one of the things like that I had mentioned before is uh, trying to support things that I don't think uh, are done enough in the industry. So whether that's um, you know people that get to design the things, whether it's for marginalized groups or whether it's a theme that doesn't get hit on enough. And the things that I look at in those situations is, is this telling something from a perspective that we don't usually hear? That will bump it up on my list there. Is this creating something that gamifies something that hasn't been represented as much in gaming? So, for example, I have backed uh, Passion de las Pasiones because that's a soap opera RPG. I wanted that because you don't see that very often. I also uh, backed, oh, I have to see the name of it, uh, Derby Drama, which is about... Uh, roller derby. I wanted to see both of those because normally you're not going to see, you know, you're not going to see Wizards or Fantasy Flight jumping on a uh, roller derby franchise. So <laughs> those are the things that I'm kind of looking for there. When it comes to supporting people that I already know, um, the um, I, I also look for is this something where that person is going to get to do to have more creative control than they would if they were doing it through someone else? For example, I know Rob Schwalb is going to be able to do things the way he wants to when he does a Shadow of the Demon Lord product versus when he's working for someone else. I love the stuff that he does for other people, but I want to see what happens when you let Rob do Rob, which is, you know, scary, but also <laughs> interesting. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the other thing is is this letting them focus on a part of the game that bigger publishers aren't likely to cover? Um, part of this, you know, this is like another thing with, I, I backed Seas of Vidari because Brandis was involved in it, but I also wanted to see what does a campaign look like when the whole campaign setting is islands? Like, and I love piracy and high seas and everything, and I wanted to see that merge with D&D because that definitely seems like something that, you know, is something that can go together, but I haven't seen it done expressly. And Wizards isn't necessarily going to do a setting like that per se, so I wanted to see that. When it comes to things like Sam was saying that that kind of click that switch where I'm saying maybe I shouldn't do this, is it's looking at how many things are promised for what they're kickstarting. Um and this is something it's 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 actually bitten me on a couple of kickstarters um there was a dice kickstarter that a lot of people were very big on and were very behind and it got very late and the fi final products looked terrible and um that was basically because they took in so much money and they promised something like like 30 some different varieties of dice and it's like logically if i would have sat and thought about that it's like that's not realistic you can't do that with one kickstarter that's not focusing enough to get this done well. And so sometimes we have to kind of take that upon ourselves and go, okay, is this too good to be true? Even if somebody, even if they've done something on a smaller scale, have they done something on this scale that they're trying to do now? Um, and another one that I'll, I'll be honest about, um, I kicked, I kickstarted 7th um, uh, C Katai because there were a lot of um, different people that were going to be writing parts of that setting from their culture. So there were people that had a Japanese culture that were going to be writing the Jap Japanese analog. There were people of, uh, you know, of uh, South Sea's origin that were going to be writing those. And the problem is now, because that kind of collapsed, everything is going to be from 
the lead designer's perspective and not from these marginalized voices. So I'm a lot less excited about that now that this has kind of fallen apart and isn't the way it was originally presented. And part of that's because it was a, here's a core book, and then if this crowd funds, we're going to do these other eight books all based on this one Kickstarter. And again, that's too much. You can't chain that much to one thing. That's uh, that's one of the things I think Mike Shea does really smart, right? He His Kickstarters are so tight. Like, there's like three tiers, and it's just going to be this thing, and, and we're just going to do this thing really well. Uh, yeah. He's got it down to a science that I think a lot of people could learn from. So. Uh, same and I one, even think like oh. – oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, like, Cobalt Press, I think they have a pretty smart model there, too, because if they kickstart an adventure, then they might throw on a player's guide and then a book of extra encounters. That's all stuff that you can develop in the same headspace. It's not necessarily doing a whole different product line because you crowdfunded this thing. Sam, what, what, what's your approach to, to third-party products and crowdfunding? Um, well, uh, so very similar to what you've all been saying, but you know, I I have a I have a really good memory. So if I read something from a designer I like, I tend to remember that name. And if I see it somewhere else, I think, oh, I know I like what that person did. I might not even remember exactly what it was that they did, especially if it's a not a well known designer at this point. Um, but I'll remember, and uh, and sometimes I'll just back a project because they're involved, even if I'm not super excited about that because I want to support that work. And, you know, as a creator, not everything you're going to do is going to be a hundred percent, knock it out of the park. The best thing you've ever done that that's impossible to do that. Right. You know, everybody would burn out within a year if everything they did was, was a thousand times better than the thing they did last. Right. It's just not, it's not possible. Not for somebody who, who needs to be prolific and make a living at this. Right. Um, so, uh, so sometimes I will even support something that I'm not even super excited about, but I'm excited about that designer. I'm excited about that creative mind getting more support to bring new things into the industry, into something that'll probably be in my peripheral vision at some point. And then I can say, oh, I remember. Yeah, there's that person again. Let me pick that up and see it. Right. Um, so sometimes I do that. I actually do a lot more of that now um, because I don't go for a lot of the big kickstarters anymore um i i almost always back cobalt press whatever they're doing i back it because it's just good and i i i have taken at least two things from every single book they've published except for uh tales of the old margreve uh because i just i didn't i just didn't i didn't back that one uh i was just in a different spot i don't have any need for the forest thing and um yeah. So, whereas I have um, used it extensively, but yeah, different experiences, right? Right. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, I I played it in when because they had a Pathfinder version, and I played I played through a couple of the scenarios in, as a player in the path. So I kind of already knew kind of what it was about and everything, and it was really fun. I just I didn't have a need for it in my fifth edition game, so I just didn't back it. But everything else that they have kickstarted, I think I have backed and been extremely pleased, and it's just such high quality, and I use it a lot. Um, I mean, I use Tome of Beasts and Creature Codex, like, you know, more than I use the Monster Manual almost, you know. Um, and and actually, I use those books also in my design work because I say, okay, here's what Wizards of the Coast does with their creatures, right? They have a certain number of different types of special abilities and different types of whatever. Here's how Cobalt Press does this right they have sort of different things different layer actions different types of special abilities and all that how how could i actually 
give those things my own flavor, right? So I use it kind of as a creative springboard. That's part of the reason why I use those books so much. Um, so I, I back Cobalt Press. Uh, so there are some things I back like without even really like there's no question. I love um, Lonnie Cook Games' Numenera system. I, I, I love a lot of what they do. And sometimes it's not even that I love the content. It's I love even the layout of their books. And a lot of the art that they use is just so great and relative to their setting and what the point they're trying to get across and their designer notes inside and the way that they formatted everything and how easy it is to read. I just love it. So I back a lot of what they do, even if I don't extensively use it. Um, because once again, I want to support and, and they're pretty good at supporting uh, different styles of play, but within a particular type of system. Okay. So I like that. Um other than that, I really go for how useful is this thing going to be to me? And that's part of why I've been able to back off a little bit. Now, granted, I've backed probably 280 Kickstarters <laughs> since, this year. since 2006. Yeah. <laughs> since 2006, okay? Since 2006, yeah. okay? But still, that's a lot, right? And and I'm, you know, and most of those aren't little $20 Kickstarters, right? Like, we're talking about a hundred bucks a pop in a lot of cases. Right. Um, and you know, I've only been burned about five times, uh, for various different reasons. And the majority of the things that I've kickstarted, I don't have anymore. I've always given them away or I've given them to a player or I've bought them to give them to someone else in the first place, you know? Um, or I, I got them because I was just supporting someone. Right. Um, so, Part of what I part of what I've begun doing is just kind of stepping back and saying, you know, if that's not really going to be useful to me, and I can't think of someone who really needs that, I'm just not going to back it. Uh, but there's a lot more. I mean, that that's such a simplistic way of talking about that decision. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, right? Like, well, what does the, it even mean for me to say it's got to be useful for me? And like, that's, that's and that's even harder. That's a much harder decision to make on a crowdfunded project than it is on right. something sitting on the shelf. Because I can go right. into the game store and say, is this useful to me like in the next month? And I can probably have a pretty good right. sense of that. But if I'm going to crowdfund yeah. something, I, I need it to be useful to me a year, maybe a year and a half from now. Right. Uh, and right. It's, it's really hard for me to know whether it's going to be useful to me that far in advance. you know. Right. But that's a reason to not back it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right? See, that's that's why I say if you flip to asking it from that direction, mm -hmm. it becomes a lot easier to not back I, it. I, I it's funny be... that you say that because walking around a really good game store, I have a hard time putting stuff down. If I pick it up and I flip through it and it looks really good and I just see two little passages or two pieces of art that really strike me, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to buy this. You know? <laughs> Whereas a Kickstarter, I don't get that opportunity. So I often pass it up. Yeah, and so for the Kickstarter, I tend to, I do tend to be a little more discriminating because I don't know if it's going to be useful to me unless it's unless it's Cobalt Press, um, unless it's uh, you know Green Ronin doing D and D, which uh, they haven't done a lot of in Fifth Edition, um, you know, uh, or unless it's Torg Eternity stuff, and that's the completionist in me. Um, I look at a lot of Kickstarters and I'm like, yeah, I think I could pass. And I and almost exclusive, like the one time I didn't recently was there was a company doing uh, a, a whole set of flat plastic minis. I'm like, well, that's going to be useful to me years from now. So whenever this delivers, and it's supposed to deliver this summer, uh, so whenever that delivers, right, that's going to be useful to me. Um, 
but other than that, like, uh, there's a lot of like, oh, well, that's a kind of a neat set of dice. I'm not, I don't need to spend that kind of money on it. Uh, on the uh, with the question of what's the quality going to be, is it going to deliver, mm-hmm. uh, what have you? So, um, or books or whatever. So, so yeah, I tend to be a lot more discriminating. Um, although sometimes I, you know, I'll still fall into the trap of yeah. But the nice thing about Kickstarter, I can decide to back it now, and my wife won't see the credit card statement for months, you know, <laughs> or for, for for a month, you know. <laughs> so, um, so you know. I, I trap myself a little bit that way. So, um, I, or to spin that more positively, yeah, <laughs> it's like giving a present to yourself next year. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so, I wanted to talk. Uh, we're, we're over the time I wanted to go on, and I think we've talked a little bit about accessories uh, already. Anyway, and I, and I imagine the, the thought process is very similar. Do I need this? Can I talk myself out of it? Uh, all that kind of stuff. Is it going to be useful to me? Whether it's dice, whether it's um, you know dice trays. I bought a dice tray once that that has actually been fantastic. I never th- I was never a dice tray person before. Um, you know uh, minis. Uh, I, I've I've talked a little bit about my mini buying habits, but I didn't know if anybody had any sort of um, additional thoughts on accessories that we haven't already kind of beaten a dead horse over at this point. Uh, so we can before we wrap up. I like going to one kids' toy departments or toy stores uh-huh. or something similar to get some accessories. Uh, they're also because there's also some like cool dice. Um, I think they're called story cubes or something that uh-huh. they sell there to help um, kids be, be able to make stories and you co- of course use it for gaming. Uh, and then a lot of my card sets and stuff I end up getting at conventions uh, from the exhibitor hall because people are always making cool little card sets to help either build out dungeons or build out characters. Nice. Any other additional thoughts on accessories uh, that we haven't already discussed? Yeah, I mean, I love cards. Okay. Um, but but cards, I got to tell you, cards run into the problem that, that Tracy was talking about earlier. You, you start running into a storage problem. Because how do you store eight bazillion cards, right? Because once you decide you love cards and everybody comes out with dungeon uh, geomorph cards and then they come out with character face cards and then they come out with oh, a treasure cards and then there's uh, what's in your backpack and then there's, you know, and like, then there's the Taroka deck and oh, and now you've got these adventures they come with accessory decks and, and like uh, for Numenera, there's like a bazillion beast cards and like there's like XP cards and there's, and there's creature cards for D&D and I mean like, you know, here's, you know, I mean, it's 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 cards, 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 cards. Almost replaced my minis habit, right? <laughs> um, and then I realized, okay, I'm I'm buying these. Am I using them? And the type that I use are creature cards and spell cards. Those are the two I use. The other ones, I just find myself not using very much. So. Uh, so, so my advice is pay attention to if you're not a completionist, because it's totally I'm like I'm not dogging somebody. I'm not saying you have to, you know, con Mari your everything right and get rid of everything. I, what I'm saying is if you're a completionist, that's fine. Just own it. You're okay. You're, you're that's awesome. But if you're not and you're looking for a way to try to try to stop spending money, or if your financial situation has changed because of the pandemic or whatever happens, life happens, then what you need to do is look at how you're using things. And if it's really not 
being used. You just have it because you like it. Decide if that's worth it. Because if that's not worth it, then maybe you it's easier for you to tell yourself, okay, well, it wasn't worth it last time. Maybe I won't buy cards next time either. But and if it may, is worth it, then yeah, God, by all means, get it. Sorry, Tracy. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, and this is maybe why I wanted the storage episode, because there are cards <laughs> that I know I would use if I didn't yeah. have to go through unearthing them every time I wanted to use yeah. them. But mm. cards are not easy to store. Uh, right. I think it was Tilt Factor. Um, I think they're, they're now called a different company. Uh, they had created a <laughs> set of cards where, um, and it was meant more than just for gaming, uh, but they had different uh, personality features and they made an effort to try to include things that were more diverse. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really want to use those cards, but I can't figure out how to store them well so that I can just pull them out and suddenly randomly generate some characters from them. Yeah, yeah no, I've, I've been able to keep the card habit um, impulse that, that is there uh, every now and then in me. I've been able to keep it in check and I've kept myself down to the the Nord Games critical hit miss fumble uh, decks and and the and I specifically got a copy of the Taroka deck and only just a few months ago to use in my Curse of Strahd game and then of course we went to online because of the pandemic before the card reading game. so <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah but yeah I've been able to keep my my card habits like I've been tempted and and we've had some episodes where people have been like oh yeah I I use these these, uh, what is it, Paizo makes like face cards with, with different mm-hmm. character yeah. images and whatever. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And so I tried it for a week or two and then I realized, yeah, no, this is not something that I'm going to do at the table. I'm not going to remember it. It's not going to, you know, I'm not going to sort through it in, in time. And so I just stopped doing that, you know? Um, so, yeah. Good. So, uh, steal, steal Your Mind in the chat said that uh, he likes cards. Uh, I'm assuming he, perhaps it's a she, I'm not sure. Uh, I like cards, so sorry. Uh, I like cards for game prep, but I generally find that I use PDFs more than the actual cards. So the reason I mention that is because I actually don't like PDFs very much. I don't use very many PDFs. I like things in a hard copy. The tactile experience is important to me. Um, in fact, even to the point where when I, I play my game online, but we all roll our dice at home because we're online at because the pandemic. So when we roll our dice at home, but we roll real dice and we're on the honor system because that tactile element is so important to me. And I and the cards I like holding in my hands. I'm not really good at using a PDF to. I mean, I know they're searchable, whatever. But <laughs> even in game prep, I want the cards and I can. You know, shuffle them, and if I have a random thing, I can use them versus a PDF. So, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because that's my own proclivity. That's not, that's not a judgment call. Like, it's not, it's not a, a value judgment. It's not a quality judgment. If PDFs are great for you, that's awesome. I am almost envious because I feel like that's part of that storage issue, right? I think we do need a follow-up episode for storage. <laughs> yeah, no, well, and, and, and I can tell you as a, as a uh, mostly I think as a father, right, the PDF thing is huge for me. If I had to, if I had to come down into my, to my game shelf in the basement and find the book I needed every time I needed uh, to do my game prep or whatever, the game prep oftentimes wouldn't get done. 
but the fact that I have it, I have it on my on my iPad or on my phone or what or my laptop or whatever that's with me all the time, and I can be like, hey, I got I got 20 minutes right now. Let me pull up that PDF or let me pull up that thing on D and D Beyond or whatever, and I can quickly do a little bit of prep and have some things ready to go uh, while I'm thinking about it. That's that's been huge to me. So I'm 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 with steal your mind on that um, in terms of if I could get PDFs of everything, um, having access to that is is uh, huge. Like I. I I'm running a Curse of Strahd. I have the Curse of Strahd book right here next to me, but I don't open it at all during my games because I access everything either on my screen in front of me on D&D Beyond or on my iPad uh, in the middle of the game, uh, and I've just stopped using the physical book almost entirely. But we're, 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 we're going on and on on, on the different <laughs> tangents <laughs> as we do. I, I was just going to throw in, since everybody else was talking about cards, the most useful cards that I've ever gotten are the uh, NPC cards for the FFG Star Wars. Um, mm, I have the, those. Those yeah. are that's incredibly actually what's in useful. This box I pulled out. Yeah, those oh, are incredibly useful for for running the game because, yeah. especially if in the FFG line, the NPCs could be scattered through all sorts of things, and in the cards, you can have all of your Imperials together, and you don't have to remember which one of the books had you know had shadow troopers in them you just have your deck of cards there so those were like one of my favorites the other thing i was going to briefly say is this is not something i would uh tell everyone to do but if someone uh offers a screen i end up getting a screen i have no reason for that most screens are not that that obligatory but if someone offers a screen i get the custom screen however i would like to say green ronin has some of the best um, ideas for screens now because they have handouts. Instead of trying to come up with, oh, what book should we put in here with these? They like all of the age games have um, handouts for different charts, and it's so useful. And also, Star Trek Adventures has different handouts that have things like momentum spends and things like that on them. So that trend I really like if more people wanted to put, you know, player reference uh, charts or handouts that you can use in with your GM screen. <laughs> See, my almost my entire Fantasy Age uh, uh, collection is PDFs, so I don't have that experience. So. <laughs> there we go. One point for the for the physical products there. Uh, very good. All right, I think I think we've hit our sort of uh, last thoughts and accessory conversation. So, in, if unless anybody objects, I'm going to go ahead and call that the end of the episode. No objections. I'd like to say thank you to our guests, Sam. Uh, where can folks find you online? You can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel, uh, and you can find me online at RPGmusings.com. You can also find me on uh, the Don't Split the Podcast Network at my show, which is called D&D Brief. And Jarrett, where can folks find you? All right. Well, my blog is WhatDoIKnowJR.com. I just recently migrated that. Uh, so that I have my own little website there. You can also find me on Gnome Stew, along with a lot of other great writers. And um, if you look up Jared Rasher, you can find my YouTube, which I have a whole bunch of actual plays on there. They are not fancy. Many of them are very old. But if you wanted to see them, they are there. And we'd also like to say thank you to all of you who support us by being patrons at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. 
Uh, and for supporting us on Amazon and DMs Guild when you shop through the links at tomeshow.com. If you want to get a hold of us at the show, you can email the tomeshow at gmail.com. That goes straight to me, uh, including all the spam that people sign us up for. Um, <laughs> you can also find Tracy on Twitter. She is at Sarah Dark Magic. That's Sarah with an H. You can find me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. The, the podcast is at The Tome Show, which you totally want to go hang out at because there is a contest from SkullSplitterDice.com going on. Um, and yeah, that's how you get a hold of us. Or you can find us in Discord. Or in Discord or Facebook or uh, follow us on Twitch. And th- thank you for uh, being here and having conversation with us on Twitch as we stream. Yeah, and that's episode 341, where we figured out how to get the most bang for our buck in this episode of... I'm on the wall.